pandemic, a contentious election cycle, a divisive media on both the right and the left, endless arguments over social issues, church division and arguments. If there was ever a time in the history of our society when we needed more of the Spirit in our lives, it's now. This series is a study of the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5. We're talking about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And we're talking about how we can have more of these things in our lives. Thank you for joining us as we talk about life by the Spirit. All right. I'm not sure where Joy to the World falls in my favorite Christmas songs. It's in the top five, but I love that version. I'm not the joyful, joyful. Okay. That's good. Um, I, it does bring up a memory I want to share real quick because we had, when I was growing up in the Juan Wall Church, we had a song leader that would lead Joy to the World every July. And uh, he wanted to make a point. Uh, he actually wanted to make several points. He wanted to make the point that, A, we don't know when Jesus was born. B, we can celebrate his birth at any time of the year. And C, uh, Joy to the World's not really a Christmas song. And... Uh, He's right on all three points. Um, he, I, I like, we don't know when Jesus was born. We don't actually know the exact date. We've chosen December 25th. It's not a totally random date. There's some historical precedent. It was like back in the second century when the date was chosen. So there's some precedent for it, but we're not 100% certain. We can celebrate his birth at any time of the year, just like we can celebrate his resurrection at any time of the year. It's just that in the Christian calendar, there are two big holidays that we choose to emphasize those things on Christmas and Easter. And Joy of the World's not a Christmas song. The next time you hear the lyrics, pay attention. Because it never mentions the birth, and the lyrics actually fit the second coming of Christ much more than they fit the first coming of Christ. But that's okay. We can still sing it on Advent. You know why? Because Advent is also about the second coming of Christ as much as it is about the first coming of Christ. So I don't want to confuse you here, but when you start researching all this stuff, I was Googling Isaac Watts this, this uh, week and Advent and all this stuff, kind of looking up this history of Christmas. But Advent is a season of waiting. So yes, we light candles and we remember what Jesus brought at his coming, at the birth, the incarnation of God. We remember what Jesus brought. He brought peace. He brought hope. He brought love. He brought joy. We remember those things. But we also recognize that those things are not fully present in our world yet. Jesus has made a way. Jesus has made it possible for us to experience those things. And he's made a way for us to be connected into a relationship with God because he redeemed our lives. That was what we just sang about. He redeemed our lives, therefore we can have this relationship with God. But we still live in the in-between times. And sin and death is still present. And there's, there's still seasons in our lives where we don't experience joy and where we don't experience love or we don't experience peace. But we are awaiting the coming again. We're awaiting Jesus coming back when we will experience those things forever uninterrupted. And that's the good news of Advent. The good news of Advent is if you're not experiencing joy, if you're not experiencing peace, if you're not experiencing love, just wait. It's coming. Something good is coming. Something better is coming. Something good, something be someone better is coming. And so we await with expectation. We await with hope this coming again of Jesus, because this is our, I mean, that's like, when, when I saw on the schedule homecoming and joy to the world, it's like, oh, we're going to sing about the resurrection, and then we're going to sing about the birth. Those two things aren't connected. They actually are connected, because we're awaiting 
this homecoming. That's what Lance was singing about in that song. We're awaiting this homecoming when peace and love and joy and hope reign eternal. So that's what Advent is about. Uh, we did light the pink candle today. It's the only candle that's different, and it's pink represents joy. The purple represents royalty. That white candle in the center is the Christ candle that represents purity, and we'll light that on Christmas Eve. So we're also in a study of the fruits of the Spirit, uh, and we've been in this for, I don't know, eight weeks now, nine weeks, something like that. And so the fruit of the Spirit we're talking about today is joy. And I want to start with the most annoyingly true aspect of joy that uh, there is. And, and you, I hope you understand what I mean by when something is annoyingly true. Like it's true, yes, you're right, but it's annoying that you're right. Kind of, you know, like a song leader leading joy to the world in July. True, you're right, but that's annoying. Um, it's when your wife tells you something that's true about yourself and you know it's true, but it's so annoying because you don't want to hear that. Because Yes, I know it's true and I know you're right, but I don't want to hear that right now. Okay, this, what I want to talk about, joy, uh, every sermon I've ever heard on the topic, the preachers have talked about this particular aspect of it. And they are right, but it is annoying. Okay, every, I read three uh, books uh, that I'm using to kind of help me get my mind around the, the topics for the fruits of the Spirit. In every one of the books, they talked about this aspect of joy. And they are correct. And it is still annoying. So here's what it is. <clears throat> I, I'm going to give you a quick summary. Joy is not dependent on circumstances. Because joy is not the same as happiness. Joy is deeper and more profound than happiness. Happiness is based on what happens to us. It's the feeling we get when things around us are going good. But joy happens in spite of our circumstances. Therefore, joy is not a feeling. It is a choice. And we can choose it regardless of what is going on around us. That's, that's a fairly typical sermon uh, summary of every sermon I've heard on joy. And they hit those things. It's not dependent on circumstances. Uh, it's different than happiness. It's deeper and more profound than happiness. Uh, it happens in spite of circumstances. And it's not a feeling. It's a choice. That's, all of that's true. Every bit of it's true. But it's annoying. When you're not feeling joy, it's particularly annoying. Because it just feels like people are, are rubbing it in your face. And I don't, I, before we get to why it's annoying, I'm going to talk more about why that is annoying. I want to talk about why it's true. Okay, so let's start with why it's true. The Greek word that Paul uses, don't put this definition up yet, Noah, but the, the, the word Paul uses in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 is, is chara. And it indicates, all of its uses in the New Testament indicate that joy has a spiritual source. So when it talks about joy, you're familiar, like in the Old Testament, you hear the joy of the Lord. You know, that, that the joy of the Lord. So joy is connected to this spiritual source. In the New Testament, like 1 Thessalonians verses 1 through 6 talks about the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And in, in Galatians 5.22, we're talking about the joy is a fruit of the Spirit. So joy is connected to a spiritual source. In other words, it's not connected to circumstances. It's connected to something deeper and more profound than our circumstances. The Holy Spirit is the source of our joy, not what's happening around us. Then, 
you go through those Bibles, and there's, there's all kinds of examples where Paul instructs us to be joyful. Paul actually commands people to be joyful. So 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, rejoice always, or some translations translate that as be joyful always. And then in Philippians, there's numerous, that's called the epistle of joy. There's numerous examples. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. In Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now, how can you tell someone to be joyful if joy is a feeling? You can't, right? I mean, you can't, you can't command people to feel a certain way. It, we've all tried it. We've all told our kids, stop crying, you know, quit this. Stop, don't be sad, be happy. You know, but you can't, it doesn't work. I mean, you can tell people all you want to feel a certain way. You can't command people to feel a certain way. Um, and so if Paul is instructing us to be joyful, then he must see joy in different terms because otherwise he could not instruct us to choose it. And then there's numerous examples in the New Testament where Paul modeled exactly what he's asking us to do. I'm going to put a few of these up, Noah. Uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 25, there's that story about Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and that was in prison. So at midnight, they were praying and singing these hymns to God. And I know that doesn't specifically mention joy, but I'm thinking, how many of us sing when we're sad? Uh, or how many of us sing when we're you know, depressed? Usually, singing is connected with something happy or something joyful. And so Paul and Silas are singing these, these hymns in prison. There must be some kind of element of joy. And then that epistle I was talking about, Philippians, Paul wrote from prison. All this stuff about rejoice and be joyful always and rejoice, he wrote from prison. And look how he starts the letter. Because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Christ, Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And so when you read, it's like, what, what's going on with this guy? Why, why is he, how could he be joyful in the midst of being in prison for this? And how can he be joyful in the midst of all these terrible things that are happening to him? And then he's not the only guy that talks about it. James yeah, and his, the brother of Jesus, he writes a letter to a church that's persecuted and scattered. They're experiencing incredible hardship and suffering. And James begins with, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. It's got to be one of the most frustrating verses in the New Testament, right? I mean, nobody wants to have that verse quoted at them. If you're going through a tough time and you call your friend like, I don't know, I'm just, I'm just having such a hard time. Call your preacher, I'm just having such a hard time. This has happened, this has happened, this has happened, what should I do? And I was like, you should be happy. Consider it pure joy that you're facing these sufferings. That's what the Bible says. You would slap somebody if they said that to you, right? I mean, I mean that's, that's a, what is that called? That's annoyingly true. It's like, I know that's true. It's because joy is not dependent on circumstances and it's a choice. It's not a feeling. I get all that, but I don't want to hear it right now. And it's obvious when you go through the scriptures, it's obvious that it's not dependent on circumstances. So in their mind, in the writers of scripture, joy must be deeper and more profound than happiness. Because it's dependent on something happening within us, not happening without of us. It's, it's, it's dependent upon a different source. That's why they could suffer hardship and still be joyful. Or they could be dealing with trials and persecutions and still be joyful. Because they recognized something that we don't really recognize anymore. But we don't recognize the fact that joy can coexist with other emotions. So we don't recognize, you know, like joy can coexist with sadness. Or joy can coexist with grief. Uh, How many of you you have been to a funeral where you laughed a lot? I mean, I went, we did one Thursday, and there was, there was a lot of laughter. Watching the pictures, there was a lot of laughter. And telling the stories, there was a lot of laughter. But there was also a tremendous amount of sadness. And it was this, there was this 
moment of joy and sadness coexisting. There was joy that this person was with Jesus and their suffering was over because they'd been suffering for the last seven years. But there's also this tremendous sadness that they're not with us anymore. And so these things are, are mixed together. It's obvious that that joy is not dependent on circumstances, at least from the teachings of the Scripture. That's why these preachers, they all say the same thing because they're all reading the same Scriptures and they're all coming to the same conclusions, and they're right. But let's talk about why that bothers us. Let's talk about why that's annoying. Um, we live in a culture that does not pursue joy. We live in a culture that pursues happiness. And uh, we don't understand the difference between joy and happiness. In our culture, those are the same things. There, there's no real difference between them. No matter how many sermons we've heard that tell us there's a difference, and no matter how many verses we've read that tell us there's a difference, it's just culturally speaking that we don't, we don't really understand that. So our, our Constitution guarantees us the right to happiness. You know, there, we, there's three fundamental rights in our Constitution, uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I don't guess it guarantees us happiness, but it guarantees us the right to pursue happiness. And so we see happiness as a human right that's right up there with life and liberty. That's pretty big. I mean, we've, we've put happiness on a pretty high pedestal, and that's what we want, really. If you ask us, what do we want? Like, what is our, you know, what do you want out of life? What, what's our goal out of life? I mean, I think if we, we stopped and thought about it and kind of, had a perspective that we'd say, I just want to be happy. And you hear this said a lot. You hear this said a lot in relationships. You hear this said a lot in uh, jobs. You hear this say a lot. Just what people, uh, many of, I've said it hundreds of times, but all of us said, I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. And you say, well, what do you want for your kids? What do we say? I just want my kids to be happy. That's what, you're making purchase decisions right now because I just want my kids to be happy. I just, well, I just want to be happy. I, I just want to have a good Christmas this year. And my kid, you know, I got, I got an 18-year-old and a 22-year-old, which is just crazy. Um, and it, they're both at that stage of life where they're trying to make all these choices. Like as soon as you turn 18, really about 17, people start asking you a question. And it, it, it's nonstop and it's relentless. And I'm guilty of it. We're all guilty of it. They start asking, what are you going to do? Where are you going to school? What's, what's your plans after high school? And, and it's relentless, and it gets asked every time. Every time you come to church, hey, what are you going to do? Where are you going? Where, what's your plans for school? Where are you going? And, uh, you know, you go out and you go to the ball game. Hey, what are you going to do? What's your plans for school? And, and it's like my, my daughters used to count it. Don't tell anybody. But they used to count, like, I wonder how many, what are you doing? I'll get it when I go to church today. Because it's just, you get it all the time. And then once you go to school, this question's flipped. And it's like, hey, what are you majoring in? What are you, what are you working on? What's, what's, what career are you pursuing? And, uh, you know, what do you, and then once you get about the, well, Lily's age, she's a senior now, like, well, what are you going to do? Where are you going to live? Where are you going to work? You got any jobs? You got any, like, and, it, and it's all, there's a tremendous pressure at that age, I feel like, to be happy. Because you're making these choices that you think are going to affect your uh, lifelong happiness. And, you know, you got an 18-year-old making choices for the rest of your life or a 20-year-old making choices for the rest of your life. And you're, and you're worried about, like, I want to live somewhere that makes me happy. I want to marry someone that makes me happy. I want to work in a job that makes me happy. I want to have a career that makes me happy. I want to go to school that makes me happy. I have a degree that makes me happy. I mean, it's all, there's a tremendous pressure to be happy. And, if you, and a lot of those questions get asked to parents, too. And our answer is always kind of the same. Like, you know, well, what are they majoring in? Well, it doesn't really matter. I just want to be happy. And what they do. You know, that's the most important thing. Well, where are they going to go to school? I don't really care where they go to school. I just want them to be happy. And, and the reason we say that, and that's interesting, I'll back up just a little bit. 
We say that knowing that it ain't going to happen. I mean, we say, I just want them to be happy knowing that there's no way they're going to be happy throughout their entire life. We, now, I know I want them to have many, 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 many moments of happiness. I want them to have just as many moments of happiness as they can possibly experience. But I know they're going to have moments of sadness. I know they're going to have moments of grief. I know they're going to have moments of frustration. I know they're going to have moments of disappointment. I know they're going to have moments of anger. I know it. So, even when I, so maybe we ought to shift that around a little bit, although it would be weird to say it. But, you know, to say, I just want them to find joy. I, you know, and that's, that's weird. The reason that's weird to think about is because we're, we are so used to tying happiness with joy that we don't even know how to separate them anymore. That's why it's so annoying. So like when, when a preacher says, you know, joy is a choice, and we say, yeah, but how does somebody choose to be happy? How does that work? Or we say, joy is not dependent on circumstances. Yeah, but how do I not let circumstances influence my happiness? Tell me somebody does that. Or joy is deeper and more profound. Yeah, but why is my happiness so shallow? You see, we hear a truth about joy and we try to apply it to happiness. That's what we do. We, we hear something that's true, and the Bible says it about joy, but we, we, they're so synonymous in our mind that we try to apply it to happiness, and that's why we get frustrated. Because it doesn't apply to happiness, it applies to joy. And um, I looked this up, this was interesting to me. You know I like looking up definitions. I'm weird and like I, I like I like the dictionary I love like sometimes I'll say a word and Jenny will be like what does that word mean I've never even heard it and I'm like well, let me look it up read the definition to you and that's a really annoying thing to do um and so I'm trying to stop that but I, I like to I like to look up the definition I looked up the definition of the word joy because I thought this is going to help me out you look up the definition in Webster's dictionary this is going to help me out here's the definition in Webster's dictionary joy is the emotion <laughs> the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. That's not the biblical definition of joy. That's, that is the American definition of joy. So I, I cannot fault Merriam-Webster. That is the American definition of joy. Joy is an emotion. It's something I feel when things are going good, I'm being successful, I've had good fortune, and I possess what I desire. That also explains, interestingly enough, that definition explains why you're never going to feel it at every moment throughout your life. Because you're never going to have a moment in which you possess everything you desire throughout your life. Especially if the one thing you desire is joy. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. Oxford Dictionary defines joy as, I won't put that one up there, a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. So joy equals happiness. And again, that's not joy. Then I looked up the Strong's Dictionary. Strong's Dictionary is where you look up all the Greek words to see what the Greek, because the Greek language is a little bit deeper and more profound than the English language. Here's the, the Greek word for joy, and look at how it defines it. Calm delight, inner gladness. So the American definition of joy is circumstantial. It's based on what's happening around us or outside of us. And this Greek definition of joy is this inner gladness, calm delight. It comes from within, not from without. There's a recognition, at least scripturally, that joy comes from a different source. And that's why it's a little bit different from happiness. If we're always trying to pursue joy from without, we will end up getting disappointed and frustrated. But if we pursue joy from within, we may still get disappointed and frustrated, but we've got a much greater chance of experiencing it 
when we pursue it from within. So then that led me to one last question. It was like, okay, but how? So, I mean, how do, how do, you, do, how do you experience that kind of joy? If you, if, how, do, how do you have inner gladness? How do you have calm delight, especially in the face of trials? Because Paul, I mean, uh, James said, consider it uh, pure joy, which is, so have inner gladness about the, and how do you do that? Um, and interestingly enough, and this is often the case, when you see something commanded in Scripture, when you see Scripture instructing us to do something, it will often answer the question itself if you'll just keep reading. So when Paul in Thessalonians says, be joyful always, rejoice always, if you keep reading that verse, he tells you how. Look at this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. So in verse 16, he says, be joyful. And then in verse 17, he says, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will in you in Christ Jesus. So there's a couple ways right there. One of the ways is prayer. Um, so the way we experience joy is we, we seek it in prayer. Because we know that it's something that doesn't come from us. We know that we're not naturally wired that way, those kind of things. But it, it, we seek joy in prayer. And what that does is it reminds us that the source of our joy is who we are in Christ Jesus, not what's happening around us, not what kind of job we have, not what our GPA is, whatever. Like that, that the, the source of our joy is who we are in Christ Jesus. So we pray. And praying, what I think praying does is praying resets our perspective. Praying reminds us like there's, there's a bigger picture out there. So whatever's going on to me right now, there's a bigger picture out there. Kind of what we started at the beginning with Advent. Like, you know, if you're not experiencing joy right now or not experiencing peace right now, just wait. It's coming. There's more. There's more. There's a bigger picture. But the other thing there is the gratitude. Give thanks in all circumstances. And one of the ways we increase joy is through gratitude, by recognizing what is good in our lives, recognizing what we do have to be thankful for in our lives. Recognizing Because, I mean, we all go through times when things are not good. And uh, it, it, we, it, it starts to become where that becomes the thing that just kind of takes over. That cloud kind of grows into this this thing that just takes over our entire life. And we think everything is going to wherever we think i mean the whole world is just i mean we just think that the entire world's gone you know there's just no way we could recover from this but even in those moments there's still some good things we still there's still some things we have to be grateful for and so shifting the perspective to thinking about what's wrong with our lives and what's going bad right now to thinking about what's right helps us experience more joy it helps us to choose joy because we're focusing on the, the good things rather than the bad things but here's the one that really answered it for me. This was interesting to me. In Philippians, that's the epistle of joy. And so Paul talks all, several times in Philippians, he commands us to be joyful. And then he tells us how in the fourth chapter of Philippians. Look at this. Beginning in verse 10. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that you at last renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, it's helpful for me, this is just me personally, to shift my perspective from thinking about joy as happiness to thinking about joy as contentment. And if you think about it, that's really what we're asking for our kids. You know, when you say, what do you want for your kids? What do you want for your kids? And I say, I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. What am I saying? 
I want them to be content. That's, that's really, I'm, I'm really talking about content. I'm not talking about like, I just want them to have unlimited pleasure in life. I just want them to be entertained throughout their entire life. I just want them to have whatever they want. Their entire life. That's not really what I'm saying. Any of us are saying that. Or when we say, I just want to be happy. Like when we're so frustrated, we get that, I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. What are we saying? I want to be content. That's really what, I, I just want to be content. So if you put joy in place of that word, there, I've, I've learned to be joyful whatever the circumstances. I've learned the secret of being joyful in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or living in want, I can do all this to him who gives me strength. And Paul, again, is connecting that to the source. And Paul's saying, you know, if you, you can't do it on your own, you need the Spirit to do this, and you do this through Christ. And so you seek joy through putting your, your faith and your trust in Christ. That's where it comes from. That's the, the, the secret. And so... Joy as contentment is much easier for me to wrap my mind around. And then it's not as frustrating when I think of it that way. If I was to say contentment is not dependent on circumstances, right? Or I'd say contentment is deeper and more profound than happiness. If I was to say that um, contentment is, is not a feeling as much as a choice, and we can choose it, but that, that makes sense to me. And it's not nearly as annoyingly true. As when I put joy in there because I'm thinking happiness when I put joy in there. Um, so let me pray about this. And I do have a few things to tell you about as we, when we do our offering and, and Christmas and all that. But let me, let me pray about this right now. Father, I know that uh, this is, in a lot of ways, this is the hardest message to preach. Uh, because... On the third Sunday of Advent, we talk about joy, and this is the time of year when joy is, uh, in our minds, is in short supply. So there's a lot of folks that struggle. Um, we prayed before this service began for folks that had lost loved ones and folks that had uh, experiencing grief in this holiday season. It's things get amplified during Christmas, and um, so it's a difficult time to talk about joy. God, I, I pray that you help us to go back to your word and to read it for what it says and not, not what we think it says or not what you know, our culture tells us it says, but to read it for what it says. And I pray that you help us to pursue joy as, as contentment, uh, to help us to learn how to be content in whatever situations we're dealing with right now and, and, and help us to take that to you. We, we, we learn that through being grateful for the good things in our life, but also praying continually and just uh, seeking you in our lives and asking you to take more control in our lives, asking the Holy Spirit to take more control in our lives. Um, that's what we've learned throughout this entire series is we need you. We can't do this without you. We can't. Joy is elusive without you. And peace is elusive without you. And patience is elusive without you. And self-control is elusive without you. And so when we're trying to do it on our own, uh, it's no surprise that it all falls apart. So uh, help us to be dependent on you to help these things happen in our lives. And uh, it's in the name of your son, Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. All right. Um, a couple of things. Well, for we're going to close with our offering. So... If, if you're given by check, uh, the boxes around the room, you, that's where you drop your Connect card as well. And, um, but that's where you put the checks or cash. If you're given electronically, all that information is on the screen. You can text. You can use the app. You can go online and, and set up a giving schedule through there. Uh, year in giving is next Sunday. And so we are trying to get out of debt. That's our plan. 
is to get out of debt uh, this year. And everything given next Sunday will go towards that effort. It will go to get us out of debt. And if we get over 100000 we're going to be out of debt. So we're just 100000 away from being out of debt. Actually, we're closer than that because I've had three people email me since my email went out this weekend. And I've, there's about 20000 that's been pledged so far. So we're about 80000 away from getting out of debt. So be thinking about that. Uh, we also may use some of that year-end giving to help folks in Kentucky. I'm saying that. I had not even talked to the elders about this yet, but I know uh, Dave Anderson, our newest elder, was born in Mayfield, Kentucky, and he called me last night. He went home last night, and um, he said, it's just, he said, you will not believe it. It's just destroyed. I mean, it's just, he said, imagine downtown Columbia. Imagine the square gone. He said, that's what, it, that's what it's like. He said, it's just incredible. Um, and so he's at a church today trying to get information about how we can help. And so we're going we're gonna to figure that out, and I, the easiest thing might be to just tie it together with year and giving, and let's try to figure out a way to get some funds up uh, to folks in Kentucky on that. So I'll let you know as that. We haven't even worked out that plan. That was just all happening last night, so I'll let you know as that develops. Uh, Christmas stuff. <laughs> Where is she? She's in... Tammy told me not to promote gingerbread bash anymore, so, uh, so I won't say anything about that. She's one, completely full. Uh, she's, <laughs> she, we're going to try to put 20 tables in the beach. And if you know that, it's, anyway, it'll be interesting. Um, so thank you for signing up for that. I guess what I'm saying, that's, that's cool that you did. Uh, talk to her if you want to get in. I'll try to get you in. Um, the student ministry party is next Sunday night, and uh, Todd's in the back. If you want to get any questions about that, it's at the Cooper's house, which the address uh, is out there. If you're signed up to our student ministry emails, he's been sending that every week. And that's at 5.30 or 6, Todd? 5.30 for student ministry. This is next Sunday morning, uh, 9.30 and 11 o'clock. We are going to talk about love, and we'll light the candle for love. I'm just going to talk for about 10 minutes about love, and then the rest of the time I'm going to give to the nativity story. And uh, you do not, don't have to sign up for this. All you got to do is just bring your kids. That's it. And what we'll do, there is no preschool uh, next Sunday. So what all the kids will come in here at the beginning of worship, and they'll be dismissed at communion, just like always. Preschool and all will be dismissed, and they'll get dressed. And they get little angel costumes and all that kind of fun stuff. They'll get dressed and ready while we finish uh, our worship and I do the first part of the message. And then we'll bring the kids back in for the nativity story. So all you have to do is invite the grandparents. That's it. Um, and bring a phone. I know you'll have a phone, but you're going to want to take some pictures. Uh, that's, that's next Sunday. Oh, by the way, one of our, uh, Duncan, Shelley, anyone in here by chance? They're, they usually come second service. Duncan, guy with a little bit longer hair, plays the, the keys. Uh, his wife drew that. I, just, I mean, she drew the gingerbread bash, too. She's an illustrator for children's books. So that's cool. A lot of talent, Murray Hills. Um, and then what's my last thing? Noah, Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. I checked before services. There's 47 seats left in the 430 <laughs> before services. And uh, there's still like 100-something seats left in there. But we've had over 400 people sign up for Christmas Eve services already. And it's, it's still pretty early. So we will, we will adjust them as it grows. You know, Scott was kidding. We're not going to kick you out if you don't sign up. But we are trying to figure out, like, how we'll get the chair set up. And we would like to get the services kind of split a little bit more evenly where we're all not sitting on top of each other on Christmas Eve. But I'm looking forward to that. I will tell you, we are having uh, services after Christmas Eve on the 26th. We will have Sunday morning services, but only the 930. So don't think 
I'm going to sleep in. It's after Christmas, and I'm tired. I'm going to sleep in and come to the 11. There will be nobody here at 11. Uh, we're just having a 930 service. And I'm probably going to talk about all those Christmas traditions and how they got connected to Christ and all that stuff. So that's what I was researching the other day. So that's the 26. So that's everything that's coming up. Uh, where are we? Two more Sundays from the end of the year. Crazy to think about. But two more Sundays for the end of the year. So um, be with us next Sunday. We'll talk about love. We'll see the kids. And then be with us on Christmas Eve. And then if you're feeling really Christmassy, come on the 26th as well. And we'll talk just a little bit more about it. Hope you have a great rest of the day. And uh, see you next Sunday.